You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. You're listening to the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Of course, InsideCarolina.com Game Plan Podcast. Greg, I'll come to you first. It's been a while since we've talked football. By week, of course, last week, ton of... Uh, very important games happen in the ACC, especially as they relate to North Carolina. But Carolina's uh, situation coming out of the bye week, do you, do you think it's improved for them? Everybody talks about they're uh, in control of their own destiny. Well, aren't we all? Wow, that's that's pretty deep. And we may need to go to uh, Doc Staples to <laughs> pontificate on uh, on that that topic for sure. Tommy, I think there's an interesting dynamic here. Um, and in talking with both the coaches and players this week, I think really what you got a sense of, and for me, I was kind of the same way, uh, in that you know, the first six weeks were just so tough. You, you For the team, you had five games in a row that go down basically to the last drive. Uh, Georgia Tech is a road game. You know, that game was closer than it should have been. I mean, it was a 10-point game in the fourth quarter. That's not what North Carolina had hoped for. They thought that could be a game where they got a lot of younger guys, some some more reps than they did, and it just didn't happen. They didn't play a clean enough game. And so I think everybody was just exhausted. I mean, talking with the players and the coaches after that Georgia Tech game, they're just beat. And as I said, kind of as a media member, I think a lot of us on the beat were the same way because it's just been kind of taxing. It's a little bit stressful when you when you're having to write stories right at the final horn instead of having you know a quarter or two to kind of type everything out. And so I think they needed the break. They needed it you know, to try to get some guys healthy for sure. But they also needed kind of a mental break. And they allowed some of the young guys to get a lot of reps. That they took it easy on some of the older guys. You know, I thought it was nice that their their assignment last weekend was you know watch Virginia Miami. You watch the Clemson Florida State game and just mentally prepare for those uh, kind of game plan there and, and see exactly how things play out, what you think you should do different, what we could have done differently. Uh, and and I, I think that's one way to kind of keep them engaged, but also to give them time to kind of relax and recuperate. And you could sense that earlier this week that the guys were refreshed and they had good practices. But then you bring in the, the talk about you know, controlling their own destiny. I like that play by Mac Brown. You know, I, I understand why coaches always say, well, I, I don't know who we're playing in two weeks. You know, we're one to know this week. That's our goal. That's what Fedora always said. And I get it. And it makes sense. And I think everybody understands you know, where coaches are coming from when they say those types of things. But I, I found it refreshing that Mike was like, you know what? If we can say that all we want. And we know the next, uh, next opponent is the most important. And we have to you know, completely focus on that opponent. But these guys are on social media. They watch ESPN. They know what the status is. You, you come into these, you come into these games and these, these seasons, 
and you you know about who's picked to win the coastal. You know about who's you know, the front runners for the the college football playoff. And so we're not going to try to shield them from that. You we want them to embrace that. You know, like he said, you know, before the Miami game, uh, you wanted to beat South Carolina and you wanted to play under the lights on primetime TV against Miami. You got it. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to ball out or are you going to be scared? And I think that's really what he's doing. He's like, all right, guys, you got your break. We're, we're at the halfway point, three and three. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to be happy with how we played the first half of the season? Or are you going to take this for what it is in a, in a bad coastal year where it's there for the taking? Are you going to do what you have to do to win enough games over the final six games to put yourself in position to win the coastal? What nobody expected you to do. Or are you going to fall back to kind of how you were preparing for app and wake and just give yourself, you know, just enough reasons, just enough excuses not to win some of these games and really hurt yourself. Uh, And so I I really like kind of how he's approached it. He's being very honest with them while at the same time saying, look, we, we have to use this as motivation. If that doesn't work for you, fine, find something else. But the point is to focus in, know that what you're wanting to work for is still there. It's still available to you, but if you don't get the job done this week, uh, it may not be there for you next week. Jason, when people talk about oh, the bye week came at a great time, it's good. Let me ask you just directly: how much, how, how much can you heal? How much can you refresh during a season with that week off? Is it that big a deal? I. I kind of think it is but then part of me says yeah it's just an extra week well it depends on whether you're talking about healing or whether you're talking about refreshing those are two different questions i think uh it if you're if you're banged up if you've got you know an ankle injury or the the sorts of bumps and bruises that guys who play football at this level have a lot of those things you're not really going to be fully you're not you're not really going to heal until two months after the season. It's just you're just you're everybody's hurt by this point in that in that regard, and some of that stuff gets a little bit better during the during the buy, but what does get better is it, it's hard to explain it's hard to explain how this works, but you. The, over the course of the season, you lose your legs a little bit. You you just don't feel as fresh on the field. You don't have the same kind of spring or pop that you feel like when you when you first get out there. Uh, and it feels like your your legs are a little bit heavier than later in the season, uh, or, than early in the season. It feels like they're heavier later in the season than they are earlier in the season. And that's something that the the bye week can help. And that's something that you do get refreshed in terms of not feeling quite as uh, as fatigued. Although you know this happens to be the the week that, uh, if I remember right, there was a Fortnite update this weekend or this week at some point. So that may have offset the entire uh, benefit of the uh, of the bye week. <laughs> but um, but in you know in all seriousness, it does make a difference in terms of just the the fatigue and the and it's not just not just physical but the mental fatigue of having to bring it every day the same way 
it's a little bit, the load is a little bit lighter in that week off, even though you're in practice, you're still doing stuff. It's just a little bit different. You're going back and you're, you're reviewing uh, some fundamentals. You're, you're doing some install for, for future games and all that, but you're, you're not, you're not banging on each other in the same way. It's not quite the same thing uh, as a regular week. And then you lose that game. And that game is really what really where everybody gets beat up. So you are fresher. It does make a difference. And for a guy who, and for a guy who's been nursing something that's just a little bit nagging, that can help. It can, it can make it just a little bit better. It's just, the thing is within two, three weeks, usually it doesn't really matter at that point again, in terms of those kinds of things, but you are fresher. And and that's where I do think it can help. And I think where it can help North Carolina the most is less with the refreshing and more with, they've got some young guys who are having to step in some guys that weren't necessarily expected to be on the field at this stage as much who have to be out there because ultimately the guys are, the guys in front of them are hurt. And this, this bye week gives an opportunity to work those guys in and make sure that they know their assignments a bit more and do all that with a little bit less stress and a little bit more teaching. So that's where this, is advantageous, I think, moving into the second part of the year, especially with some of the younger guys, you know, your your redshirt freshmen and some of your true freshmen who maybe haven't played as much. Now you can start to work them in in the second half because you use that that buy as an opportunity to to get them a lot more reps than what they've gotten at any other point in the season. Yeah, that's a great point there, getting guys um, up to speed, ready to play, because especially in defensive backfield, they're – you got guys that probably didn't expect to play at all other than in their mop-up duty or in their four uh, you know, pre-red shirt games or whatever you want to call them. And you mentioned that Fortnite thing. That, that is real. Uh, it is real in our house. And um, I actually played a little bit, which it makes you realize how old you are. Um, Greg, speaking of the injuries and healing up, any news on that front of guys getting healthy um, closer to being out there. I know there's been some big time injuries that we probably won't see any people, um, but there were some that have, you know, that been hinted at that might get back on the field at some point. Is anybody at that position yet here coming into this Virginia Tech game? Well, it seems that Antoine Green is finally back in the in the flow of things. He had, you know, I assume it was a, a hammy. Uh, that's just my guess, but he's been cleared to play for several weeks and he didn't play. He kind of pulled himself out for a couple of those weeks. Just wasn't, you know, went through pregame warmups, wasn't ready. And then finally got on the field against Georgia Tech. So sounds like he's, he's probably back to you know, close to a hundred percent. Carl Tucker practiced some this week. There's hope that he would be back Saturday. And then of course, uh, Trey Shaw's a guy that played a little bit in that season opener. Then had a a knee issue, uh, and he's he was limited in practice this week. We we'll have to see how much he's able to go, just because he hasn't you know practiced and played a whole lot. So uh, if they have to use him, I guess you know, kind of uh, an emergency situation they can, but I don't expect to see him back quite yet. Although the fact that he is getting healthy is important for the secondary. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it's just a matter of as you said, there's there's so many young guys, especially in the in the secondary, they're going to have to play. I mean, you're talking about you know, Storm Duck is the starter at cornerback now. And Don Chapman is the starter at safety now. 
and they you know, they've played pretty well, but the reason they're the starters is because everybody ahead of them's hurt. And uh, so they're kind of being forced out there. And that's what Jay Bateman has to to work with. He has to be able to scheme effectively to protect those guys as best he can and then hope that they've coached them up enough where you know, they're not going to get exposed uh, too often, uh, if at all. Let's take a short break to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. I know that's Jason's favorite place on Franklin Street. JohnnyT-Shirt.com as well. Great sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast. Great, uh, you know, great place to visit if you're a Carolina fan and you need some swag. Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street's got everything perfect for game days. Duke games coming up in a couple of weeks. Virginia after that. You need to get to Chapel Hill and you need to see those guys alumni owned and operated there on Franklin Street. Always the place to go to get your Carolina gear. And if you can't make it there, you go to johnnytshirt.com. They've got everything. Everything you could possibly need Carolina-related. Some cold weather gear. It was actually chilly today out watching uh, one of my youngest play soccer oh. for the high school team. And it is, uh, yeah, anything below 75 is cold to me. So I was cold um, and not prepared. But I did have inside Carolina um you know, sweater vest on so that helps you beat the cold can't get that from johnny t-shirt but you can get everything else from johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com and of course inside carolina subscribers get 10 percent off their everyday order jason let me ask you one more question about this bye week stuff um and we talked about the social media aspect but how much do players pay attention to what other teams are doing I know that they keep up with their boys that play on other teams, but how much do, uh, you know, Mike Brown talked about watch these games or, you know, watch these teams play to get a, a sneak peek at them. But how much do players that are in the game, that are playing on major college football teams, how much do they pay attention to what other people around them are doing? It really depends on the player. I mean, some guys are – really not as interested in that, but I would say the majority are at least keeping an eye on kind of how, how the teams around them are doing. And like you said, everybody's got people that they know on other teams. So they're always peeking at that. But uh, most of all, you're, you're wanting to take a look at other teams that you're going to, you're about to play that are on your schedule for sure. Um, and then, you know, obviously want to see the, the, if there's a, a really, really good game, a good matchup between top 10 teams. A lot of guys will get, to, you know, they'll, they'll watch that, maybe put a barbecue together, that sort of thing. Um, but it varies a little bit on individually. I mean, you, you'd be surprised, I think with some guys, how little interest they have on anybody else because they're, they're doing it every day. And I'm just going to, you know, I, I just want to get away from it when I'm not doing it. But then there's the other guys that are, you know, they're, they're, they're fans in their own right and in the way that they think about the game. And, you know, they're just getting to play it. So it, it does vary. My guess is that the majority of those guys went and they watched at least something over the course of the weekend uh, and certainly got, uh, got more word on what was going on. You know, other guys are talking in the locker room about this and that. Uh, and, you know, a lot of guys will watch some NFL ball too. So, uh it it depends, but I think the more uh, the more time you have, the more more likely you are to see those guys guys doing that, and that's why in the bye week you're going to see more of it that, than at any other point. Yeah, it's a great point about it. Depending, I, my youngest 
could care couldn't care less about watching sports, but he plays them all. My oldest can tell you. Um, in fact, he just texted me and said, "Pat Mahomes just got hurt, and it looks bad. Your fantasy team is doomed, Dad." Um, so he pays attention to everything. So I guess it does depend on the player. Greg, let's twist into the uh, Virginia Tech game. Um, we talked a little bit off air, and let's talk about it here on air. You know, I feel like this is a game Carolina should win. I feel like this is a game if Carolina plays as they're capable, they will win. Um, But that might not be the case um, amongst us three. Your thoughts, Greg, on how does Carolina need to play to get a win in Blacksburg? Well, they have to play well. I mean, I think that's the the key. And Mac Brown, really, if you listen to his press conference on Monday, he hammered this point home that in watching games last weekend and in watching games all season long, you never know how kids are going to respond. And some kids who you think you should be really good have off days. And as he said, you fans look at it and say, you play 12 games a year. It should be easy to play at your max level game in and game out. But yet, that is not the case, especially at the college level. And North Carolina is not at the point where it can just go out there and you roll the ball out and win. They're not at that point yet. They've got some some good skill players. They've got some good talent. They don't have enough of it. Uh, and so they're having to scheme appropriately. They're having to make plays in the you know clutch. Georgia Tech is not a good football team. And yet that was a 10-point game in the fourth quarter. And so kind of the point being that if you don't play to the best of your ability, especially at the ACC level, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You can can lose. And there's a reason North Carolina is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I know know, a touchdown favorite, for example, wins maybe 70% of the time. That means three times out of ten they lose as a touchdown favorite. So you would say you know, maybe 60% of the time a three-and-a-half-point favorite wins straight up. Um, and so that kind of speaks to what North Carolina is having to deal with. Is Virginia Tech the Virginia Tech of old? No, of course not. Have they played better the last two weeks with the new quarterback in place? They seem to have. Uh, and also you know, plays a role that they've cut down on turnovers, which has been a big factor for them. But Max point, and he, he – he even alluded to it you know, when talking about you know, the hopes for your the Coastal Championship are, are still in play. You've got to bring it every single week. And Lane Stadium, I believe, is going to be sold out. Um, and as bad as they've looked at times, they're still 4-2. and two. And if they win this game, they get to 5-2, and two, they get to 2-2 and two in the Coastal. And now maybe they're back in the mix because I think they have a bye week next week. Uh, and then they... They have Notre Dame, and then I think they have the, the rest, the Final Four or Coastal or ACC games. So they're not they're not completely done yet. If they look bad, of course they have, but there's a little bit of hope around Hooker, Hernan Hooker, that if he he plays well enough at quarterback, they can they can turn things around. And so North Carolina is going to have to be ready. They're going to have to play to the best of their ability because they just are not good enough to expect to walk into a place like Lane Stadium and win easily. I mean, I think we all remember in 2015, everybody thought North Carolina would go up there and roll the Hokies 
and that game went to overtime. So this is the first true road venue that North Carolina's going to have to play. The game at Wake Forest, I mean, that was <laughs> close to as 50 of 50 crowd as you can get. And so Georgia Tech, there wasn't many people in the stands. So this is the first real test on the road. And uh, a lot of factors like that kind of go into to say that if they don't bring their A game, they can very easily lose this game. Jason, tell me about the atmosphere in Lane Stadium. I know folks say it's awesome at night with inner Sandman and all that. I don't know if you necessarily agree about the uh, impressiveness of that atmosphere, but how is it going to be for Carolina at 3.30, 4 o'clock on Saturday? Oh, man. Patrick Mahomes uh, looks like a right patellar dislocation. That's uh, That's not pretty. Uh, sorry, sorry, everybody. We're recording this uh, while other things are happening as well, and that one's that one's that's nasty. that's that's not looking good. Uh, as far as Lane Stadium, well, yeah, I'm not a I'm I tend to be on the uh, Lane Stadium is disappointing when you're there in person and when you're down on the field level. Uh, I was there for an afternoon game uh, in a very between two top twenty five teams and. I was disappointed by the level of uh, crowd noise there. I, I actually, my view is that when Keenan is really at its at its peak, so you know, basically Miami game of this year, or uh, the Clemson game earlier this year, a little bit less the Clemson game, more the Miami game in terms of atmosphere, then it can it, it it's every bit as loud, if not louder, than than Lane Stadium. So uh, I, I think that's a stadium where it it looks louder on television than it is in person. Here's the thing, though, is it still can be loud. I mean, it's still Keenan is is quite loud when it's actually at full throat. What makes Lane more more of a hostile environment is that they're much more consistent about it. I mean, this is what they those guys those folks live and breathe. Virginia Tech football, and they're going to be consistent about being full throat and 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 being up there yelling a lot more than what uh, a lot of other fan bases will. So you have to respect that. I just don't think the building keeps as much noise in as uh, as what you would expect. And uh, and again, it's not a huge crowd. I mean, it's not Clemson. It's not uh, it's not Florida. It's not even Florida State in terms of of the kind of uh, of noise level. And some of that's just the size of it. Some of it's the architecture. And, uh, and you know, it is what it is there, but it's still going to be a hostile environment on the road. And, and like Greg said, I mean, that's, that's really their first go with this kind of hostile environment. And that's something they're going to have to have to deal with. Now I'm going to ask you something, Tommy, uh, let's, let's talk power, uh, power ratings. So, uh, we'll, we'll go to Bill Connolly's SP plus ratings. Um, how, how how far behind? How many spots behind North Carolina do you think Virginia Tech is in those power ratings? Ooh, you you you're trying to catch me off guard. Um, I would say not at all. Ten. You're real close. It's eleven. I mean, North Carolina is fifty sixth in those rankings, and Virginia Tech is sixty seventh, and the gap between them is about. What uh, point nine ratings points? So I mean, you're not talking about a lot of gap between those two two teams, and one's at home. So, like Greg said, this is a game that that 
in order for North Carolina to win, they're going to have to play well, especially since that that rating isn't taken into account that some of the guys that were on the field for that to be uh, for that for that that helped build that rating aren't out there anymore for North Carolina. So they're going to have to they're going to have to play at their best. They're going to have to play good football to come out of out of Lane Stadium winners. It'll be something to watch. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to talk about how it goes down with Jason Staples and Greg Barnes on the InsideCarolina.com podcast. We'll be right back. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Greg, coming to you first. It starts and ends with Sam Howe, so we might as well start with Sam Howe. Uh, I, I remember Marquise getting an opportunity up there. Gosh, has that been 13? Is it was 2013? Yeah, that was 2013. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and I, I can't believe it's been that long, but <laughs> he fared fairly well in his first uh, Virginia Tech experience. Sam Howe, I can imagine, is looking forward to going up there. Um, how do you see Longo – I mean, is is the playbook at this point wide open for North Carolina and Sam Howe? That is a good question, and I would venture to say no, uh, not yet, just because I don't think you necessarily need it to be. Um, you know, what we saw against South Carolina and and maybe not Miami, but South Carolina for sure is kind of give him some, some options. And then as the game goes along and you need to open up more, you, you take some more chances. Uh, but I think, uh, you, I think a lot of it's there. Uh, I, I don't think it's a matter of long ago, not thinking Sam can handle it. I think it's more of a matter of, you know, as Sam gets into year two and year three, you can do so much more just because of the experience factor. Not, not saying that's a, a matter of him not being able to handle it. Um, but, but having said that, I do think this is an opportunity for, for North Carolina to uh, exploit a Virginia Tech defense that has struggled this year, for sure. Um, you know, it's, not a, it's not a defense that you uh, expect from Bud Foster. Uh, they've been okay in spots, but they've been pretty bad against you know, Power 5 teams. I mean, you know, they gave up uh, 35 points and 5.8 yards per play against B.C., is 6.1 yards per play against Duke, 7.2 against Miami, even though they won that game. 
Uh, and so teams have been able to kind of go up and down the field on them and score a lot of points. I mean, you talk about points, BC scored 35, Duke scored 45, Miami scored 35. And really how, you know, in watching the kind of the Duke game, they, they really ate Virginia Tech up with a lot of uh, short passes that, that Cutcliffe likes. They've got some decent players in secondary for sure. Um, but, you know, what, what we've seen that Sam Howell kind of uh, excels in is some of those deep throws, as long as he's got some wide receivers that can actually catch, catch the ball. And I, I think that's going to be the, the key is, you know, are they able to establish a running game? Can they complete some passes down the field? And I don't know that it's necessarily one of these games, like sometimes we talk about, oh, well, they've got a, they don't establish the run and they can't pass. I don't think it's that type of opponent necessarily. I think they're going to be able to do both. It's going to be a matter of finding you know, what, uh, what, what game plan works best. You know, what, how, do, how do you kind of pair the run game and the passing game uh, to be most effective? Because I, I do think even though Hooker has played well at quarterback for Virginia Tech the last couple of weeks, still a relatively young guy. And what you want to be able to do is put pressure on him. And you put pressure on him by scoring points, making him play from behind. And so I think, I think Longo is going to be aggressive. And that kind of goes hand in hand with playing on the road, trying trying to quiet the uh, the crowd. You know, what we saw against Miami, I, I think, was perfect. Uh, you're able to to use explosive plays early to build a lead and to get your crowd involved. You can do that at, at Lane Stadium by by mixing and matching the, the run game and the pass game effectively. Uh, you can take that crowd out of play while also putting a lot of pressure on Virginia Tech because while they are four and two. Uh, you know, they've, they've played a pretty bad schedule. And I think if you're able to kind of get in their head, they're like, uh-oh, here we go again. And, and one in three in the ACC is, is, is no good. And that puts a lot of pressure, not only on the players, but on the coaching staff for sure. Uh, Justin Fuentes had a, had a heck of a year up there. Uh, and so I think that attacking mentality early, trying to get a lead and, and kind of pushing some buttons there uh, is the way to go. And uh, that's, that's probably what Longo is wanting to do for sure. I thought they were pretty aggressive at Georgia Tech. They just couldn't catch the football. Yeah, um, for sure. And, Jason, let me ask you, and, and this is something I've been wanting to ask you all year, um, watching Jay Bateman, it, he schemes a lot um, of his success, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it helps to have great players, but he schemes a lot of success regardless of the talent he has on the field. I've always thought like and felt like Bud Foster, while he did a, a wonderful job with a defense, he always had studs at the key positions when they were really good on defense. I mean, one of my favorite players was Xavier Adibi. I mean, that guy was everywhere. Um, compare and contrast those two guys in that vein, um, if it makes any sense or if I'm just full of it. I mean, Jimmy's and Joe's matter, but I feel like they matter more to foster than maybe they do to Bateman for their success? That That's a good question. I, I I don't really fully agree with you because, I mean, both guys use so much disguise and so much movement and, and everything else. I mean, if you, if you put Bateman in a situation where he just has completely inferior talent, there's still going to be problems. And that's the same thing with, with, uh, with Bud Foster. And there's a lot of similarities in terms of their approaches. 
So I'm not quite willing to go out on that limb. I mean, I, I guess if I had to make a choice of who I was going to have as my coordinator with the talent, with a talent uh, uh, deficiency, I'd probably go with Bateman just because again, he's, he's got more experience doing it with that lately and, you know, with, with army and then with some shorthanded situations in the secondary already with North Carolina, but it's still, it's, it's just never good when you, when you don't have a talent edge or at least pretty close to parity defensively. I mean, the Jimmy's and the Joe's matter a lot and they matter more on defense than anywhere else. So yeah, I, I think the point that you're making though, about, Foster's defense just not being as scary when you don't have freaks out there is is absolutely right that this Virginia Tech defense doesn't scare you the way that that some past ones did because they don't have the you know surefire first or second rounder up front and they don't have two NFL corners that are out there and for for a lot of years they they would they would just roll in cornerback after cornerback heck half of them were from the same family i guess they just stopped having kids it's about time for uh for the fuller uh for the fuller boys to start getting their boys uh running through virginia tech soon i guess but for that second generation but uh you know they 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 don't have the same kind of talent in uh, in the back end that they've had and they don't have the the bell cows up front that they've had so when you combine that, they're just not as they're just not as good defensively as they've been. And you look at uh, their overall pass uh, pass defense, and it's just not been what it has been as a result. So you know, th- hopefully North Carolina is able to take advantage of that. I mean, that's what you want for Sam Howell coming out of a bye week. Where I agree with Greg that the offense isn't wide open for him especially up there, you're not going to want to put him into a potentially bad spot early. You want to continue to take the approach you've taken all year where let's get to the weekend. Let's win. Let's win on Sunday, uh, you know, four quarter approach. But I I do think they'll, they'll let him loose a little bit more. There's he's showing a little bit more grasp. They opened it up a little bit against Georgia tech. The bye week gives you some chances to, to, uh, fix some things and to further develop that. So he'll be a little bit further, further along and, and it'll give you some, there, there should be some places to attack that defense in Blacksburg that wouldn't have been there in prior years. So that, that's a good thing. Uh, the, the real question, what I'm looking forward to seeing in this one is how much between the hashes we see how, how many throws between the hashes we see how will make it. And, and that'll tell us a good amount about how, how much uh, how much freedom they're starting to allow in terms of of opening things up for him? And so far, most of his damage has been outside the hashes and even outside the numbers. Are we going to see that start to to come inside the hashes a little bit and open some things up where there are some chances to make some make some bad bad decisions? Uh, and if we see that against Virginia Tech, that that's showing us the kind of confidence that they have in him going into the second half of the year. Uh, folks, that's a key to watch on that side of the ball. Greg, a key to watch on the other side, Carolina's defense against Virginia Tech's offense. I think the addition to Hooker, the addition of Hooker for Virginia Tech sort of expands their um, ability to stress the defense. But if he can get it to the guys on the outside, I think that could be an issue for North Carolina. So what are Carolina's keys on that defensive side of the ball? 
Well, I think the the key takeaway from Virginia Tech and the reason they went away from uh, Ryan Willis is while he is capable of running, and North Carolina fans, I think, remember that from uh, the game last year. I think fourth and nine, they picked up on that that game-winning drive. Uh, But that offensive line's been banged up, and they're not very good. And so when you have a guy that's, you know, not much of a running quarterback and he doesn't have a very good offensive line, there's going to be some issues. And so by going to, to hooker, um, I mean, this is a kid who's six, four two thirty, and he can run. And if you look at like what he did against Miami, he threw for 184 yards through 20 times, but guess what? He ran 16 times for 76 yards and a touchdown. And that brings in play action that makes the defense hesitate just a moment. You can't be all out after the guy. Uh, and that's that's paid dividends. And, and the, the offense has been able to open up a little bit the last couple weeks. They're able to run the ball a little bit better. Um, you know, McLeese has, has done a pretty good job running the ball. Um, and then they've got, as you mentioned, they got a couple pretty good uh, wide receivers. So I think that dynamic of, of having a, a dual threat guy back there just – takes so much pressure off the offensive line. Now to be you know, having said that, when you've got guys like Aaron Crawford and, and Jason Strobridge, um, you know, Strobridge, I think time and time again, and Jason's done a good job highlighting some of the plays that he's made on his film studies. Uh, but he can make a you know a game changing play on about any play if he wins his one on one matchup, which he does a lot. And Crawford's done a really good job kind of absorbing blocks that helps out uh, not only the the defensive ends, but also helps out the the linebackers being able to shoot the gaps and those types of things. Uh, So those two guys up front really play a a key role, and they will obviously not just just, this game, but in all the games moving forward. Uh, And I think that's really going to be key is you be able to get enough pressure up front to kind of make Hooker want to move around a little bit so he's not able to set his feet but also be able to bring enough pressure uh, to make him want to think about running, but then have your bases covered. Uh, easier said than done, clearly. But I think what, what you have to be able to do is uh, you have to protect you know, the secondary as best you can. You know, Miles Dorns, uh, I'd be curious to know Jason's opinion on this. Miles Dorns' uh, grades with, with Pro Football Focus are horrible. I mean, like some of the worst grades in the ACC. And in talking with Jay Bateman, I think some of that – is that he's really trying to cover all the bases on the back end. And it gets him out of position sometimes, and he's kind of having to make up. So Bateman's got to do a really good job of protecting those young guys on the back end while also being able to kind of get pressure. Because what you don't want to have happen, obviously, is allow some kind of explosive play. Um, but you've also got to make sure that you know, that the hooker's not able to do what he wants to do in terms of you know, taking his time with some passes, but also having some run lanes. Uh, so there is a, and that's going to be something we're going to talk about every week is protecting that, that backside a little bit, uh, the back end, while also getting enough pressure up front. And I, I think Strobridge and Crawford are the key there because if they're able to get pressure, just the two of them, that opens up so many other options for you. So Jason, how do you, you do, how do you accomplish what Greg said? Is it just a matter of Strobridge and, Crawford and Fox and maybe one of the other younger guys just winning battles consistently up front. I think that's what you have to do. The other thing is, again, Bateman does a really good job of finding ways to use some 
field reduction, boundary reduction type concepts, uh, you know, stemming the front, all sorts of different things to to cause problems in run blocking assignments to put his guys at an advantage as well. So it's not just winning those matchups, but when you have a guy, we talked about this in the off season, when you have one guy up front that you know, if I can isolate him on, on, on one guy, if I can make sure that he's not getting double teamed, that that guy's going to win his matchup, then you're, you get a lot of flexibility around him. And, uh, and, and that's, they've been using Strobridge and Crawford. They've got two guys that have been winning their one-on-ones a bunch that gives them the flexibility to do some of that even more. So, I mean, they're just going to keep doing what they do. And, you know, looking at Virginia Tech's numbers, interesting thing is they've really struck. I mean, they've, they've not just been struggling to run the football. They've really struggled to run the football. So they let, let's, let's look at their schedule. They played old dominion, Furman and Rhode Island. So it's powerhouse schedule so far. I know, but, Bear with me here. So in those three games, Old Dominion, Furman, and Rhode Island, they've averaged 3.36 yards per carry, 5.28 yards per carry against Furman, and 5.6 yards per carry against Rhode Island. All right? Their average yards per carry on the season is still only 3.89. That's with those three teams on the schedule. They averaged 2.33 at Boston College. They averaged... 3.23 3.23 at Duke and 3.56 at Miami. And this is absolutely, you're absolutely right, Greg, that I think one of the reasons that they made the quarterback switch is because they couldn't run the ball. They got to find a way to, to be able to run it. And the new guy gives him some chance. I mean, Hooker gives him some chance to have a little more versatility in that, in that area. But to me, the, the thing that, that you have to do against Virginia Tech is you have to make sure that they're throwing when you want them to throw. Make sure that they are that they are completely one-handed in this game. Don't let them create any balance. You've got to win up front by continuing to keep them at 3.5 or lower yards per carry. I think if you do that in this game, you probably win. And again, if you look at the if you look at the past few games that they've played against Power 5 competition, that's what you're. That's what you're seeing. It's three point two three, three point five six, three point three or uh, two point three three. So, to me, that's the that's the big key. The other big key is you just got to make sure that that those big receivers and they got a pretty good receiving core don't don't win it with a bunch of big plays over the top. Make them matriculate down the field, executing in the short and intermediate passing game. Take away the running game and the deep passing game, and I think you've got a, a real shot to to keep them limited. All right, let's get to the predictions. Jason, you're up first. This is a tough one um, because I, I think there's some uncertainty as to what Carolina is going to look like in the back seven. And with a new-ish quarterback at, at Virginia Tech, and they seem to be improving a little bit over the course of the season, there's reason to think that this is going to be a, a competitive game. Uh, that said, I do think that North Carolina's overall offensive matchup against Virginia Tech, I think, looks good. And especially with the return of uh, of uh, Antoine Green on the outside, I think that actually makes them a good bit better offensively. H- adding one more quality uh, outside receiver with, with some speed. 
I like North Carolina to win this game. I think this is one that, that Matt Brown and his staff have had circled even since the offseason just because of the recruiting implications and how important it is to, to win. You've got to treat Virginia Tech like an in-state rival because of where they want to recruit and because of the recruiting areas. Coming off a bye, they're going to have, they're going to have some stuff some special stuff in this game, I think, for Virginia Tech. I think they win this game. I think there's going to be some points scored in it. So I'm going to go with, say, 34 to 27, North Carolina over Virginia Tech. Mm, I'm glad I didn't go first. You'd have prices righted me there. Uh, Greg? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Virginia Tech, and when people look at what they've done this year, you see some some bad games. I mean, they struggled early against Old Dominion. They struggled against Furman. They get waxed by Duke. They take a huge lead against Miami and hold on. Uh, and what what's interesting about all that is in their first four games, they were negative eight in turnover margin. <laughs> That's hard hard to win games that way. And unless you're playing ODU and Furman, you're probably gonna lose all four of those. In their last two, however, they're plus five. Um, and, and Hooker uh, has not had a turnover. They, they actually have not uh, coughed up the ball the last two games after coughing it up 11 times in the first four. So why is that? Is it, is it simply Hooker? Is it a matter of the guys are more focused after a rough start? That, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because if Virginia Tech's able to you know, keep their turnovers down, we know North Carolina hasn't forced many. I do think it'll be a very competitive game. Uh, if they get sloppy, it can kind of get out of hand. Um, but you know, it's hard to disagree with with much of what Jason said. I do think North Carolina is the better team. I do think they win this one. Uh, I know it's three and a half, but I've got North Carolina winning this one 35-24. <laughs> same ballpark. Yeah, same ballpark. And to be honest, I had it 33-26. But I'm going to say uh... – how do you get some of the numbers that you roll out there, Tommy? I just, you know, just like totally random. I'm like, uh, <laughs> whenever you, whenever you say a score, I'm like, how in the world do you get 33 points? Um, I had 38. We all had 38 a couple of weeks ago and we were all on it. And 38 is not a, well, I guess it's a close number. If you, if you kick some extra points and make one field goal, but I'm going to go, uh, okay, here you go, Greg. I'll go 36. 33 Carolina. I'm, no, no, we're done with peer pressure. We've already heard about that. So you, whatever you want. I'm just over here doing math on my fingers. No, I'm going to go 36, 33 Carolina. I think it is a lot closer than it should be. Um, I've got a feeling it could be a route on one side or the other on Carolina's side specifically, but I, I'll stick with 36, 33. I just got to see Carolina play a full game before I start talking about much bigger margins than that. That'll do it for this podcast, the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. Boys, we will talk again soon. Carolina and Virginia Tech, Saturday in Blacksburg. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. 
baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 